Welcome back, Thought Architects, ladies and gentlemen, damas y caballeros. I hope you're all having a fantastic time at the point that you're hearing this. So um, what dawned on me was something very interesting that I'm going to share with you today. And so we're going to double click on something. So there's two points. Number one, the very simple point is feedback and having a feedback loop is super important. And because of this, I listen to my podcasts that I make, the audios that I make consistently. You know, like I'll listen to my voice. How do I sound? You know, am I going too fast, too slow? When I'm speaking at the same time, like I do have minimalist preparation, so that assists me in my speaking. But there's also this concept that because I'm speaking at the same time, I can't really notice myself speaking. I haven't really gotten to that point yet. And so I like to put a bit of distance in between and observe myself where, you know, I'll go for a walk and a, a week or two weeks later, after I've released an episode of a podcast, I'll listen to it again and I'll start to make judgments about it and judgments in a neutral term. I don't mean negative connotations. And I will come back to this point of saying, okay, well, I like the way that I did this. Let's lean into that. Oh, I didn't really enjoy the way that I did that. Let me lean into that, which is great. But just remember that whole, that old adage, you can't see the forest for the trees. It's one of my favorite mental models to understand that you occupy one place when you are looking at a forest. Okay. So I like to say that the forest is a general principle. The tree itself is an example of the principle, but you looking at all of this and examining something, you're sitting down in a particular place, okay? Which means that you have a particular perspective. There are things that are seen by you that you can witness, bear witness to. And you can't sit simultaneously on the other side of the forest and see the same thing. It's quite, it's kind of difficult for you to do that, but you can get a picture that you can't occupy a space like that. Perhaps you can, but you've got to bounce around, but you can't see the back of your own head at the same time as looking at the forest as well. So that's a good point to remember. So having other people observing you is a good thing to do as well. So a few people caught the back of my head, ha ha ha, as I extend the metaphor, um, and said that, well, you know, like Justin, in, in, these, in these audios, you are going into extreme detail very quickly. Um, and this has been an, a regular thing in my life where, um, you know, I'll go from zero to 120 miles an hour in like six seconds flat. And, you know, some, sometimes people just get lost in the dust and like, what, how did you, what, why are you, why are you going so fast? Why are you running? You know, um, and just to say that that's not, that's not, uh, a good thing. That's, that's also me with a lack of contextualization. I am not preparing a person for the journey that I'm going to take them on if I want them to follow my chain of thought. And so for this reason, we're going to double click on probably the first and most important part of last week's audio, which was cognitive load. Okay. And I just want to be a little bit more succinct with it. And actually, I realized that I, I said Jack Reacher and it was only like more than halfway through that Jack Reacher actually came into it. So in this episode, I'm actually going to get into um, the double click and actually show you a better way to get into it. And for this reason, what I'm going to do is I'm going to 
talk about a mechanic. I'm going to give you an example of the mechanic. I'm going to give you a personal experience. And I'm also going to give you a metaphor. And so those are the four markers by which I want to explain cognitive load. Okay. So I, I tried to do this last week. Um, and like I said, these, these two beats of number one, the feedback coming in is I presented a lot of information. So what I usually do with people to demonstrate cognitive load, to give them an idea of where you can see it in your life is very simple. Even with people who are not stressed, you can imagine that if you're stressed, it, it aggravates it even more. If you're tired, it aggravates cognitive stress even more. But a simple matter of if I ask you to store in your brain and repeat certain, uh, certain things, you know, let's try this exercise very quickly. So I'm just going to give you a set of numbers and I want you to repeat them back to me after I cue you to do that. So here we go. Uh, 84977. Okay. All right. Try and repeat that. So that was just a simple five numbers. 84977. Okay. Just to check you. Now... What I've noticed is when I take people up to nine or 10 numbers, especially if you're not trained in the techniques of linking things together and memory techniques to link things together, this type of thing overloads you completely. So for example, I want you to try and do this. I'm gonna take you up to, let's say, I'm not gonna tell you when because unknown actually puts a lot of burden on your brain as well. So I'm gonna give you between, let's say 10 and 20 numbers. And let's just see what your brain does, okay? So here we go. Zero, seven, five, four, six, eight, two, one, five, four, two. All right. Now, what most people notice, and maybe you notice this as well, is after I got past, let's say, six numbers or something like that, your brain literally threw its hands up in the air and was like, that's it, I'm done, I can't do this, I'm out. And actually threw all the numbers that you were previously storing, threw them away. And so if I ask you to repeat that sequence of numbers, can you remember? Even just the, the five, the first five, what were they? Any guesses? So I'm gonna repeat them in a second. Zero, seven, five, four, six. Those were the first five numbers. Eight, two, one, five, four, two were the last six numbers. So it was 11 numbers in total. Okay. But the idea is very simple. And even if you are one of these savants that, that, that was not a challenge for you, congratulations, that's amazing. But if you are not one of these savants, the, the concept I think is, is demonstrated. The very simple point is that you will have a limit where your brain says, nah, -uh. and at that point, your brain literally drops everything that it was trying to carry. There is a point in your mind where your brain just says, no more, I can't do it. And it's a muscle. And so I don't want you to think about it like a separate person in your brain. I want you to think about it like a muscle overloading. So now that I've explained the mechanics, let's go into details with the metaphor, a muscle, okay? So there is a certain point, let's say you're lifting, um, you know, you're trying to pick five kilograms off the floor, okay, you can do it. That's the equivalent, let's say, of one number. So then you add more and you add a second number and you do 
10 kilograms and then 20 and then 30 and then you're going to get to a point where you're going to try and lift you know let's say 100 kilograms off the floor and your muscles will just be like nope not doing that and you're going to get to a certain point where you're either going to uh, drop the weights or your muscles are just going to force you to drop the weights i.e they're going to break okay not quite the same thing <laughs> with your brain can you imagine someone like blowing a gasket like i don't know having a stroke or popping popping a blood vessel in their brain or something like that like that doesn't happen uh, <laughs> cognitively thank god can you imagine people sitting and trying to concentrate so hard that you know their noses start bleeding i mean i'm i'm sure we've seen it on tv and science fiction but thankfully this kind of thing a is not very common and if it is common it's usually not caused by cognitive load so um so there's our there's our explanation there's our metaphor okay uh personal stories with this it goes in to a lot of the times when people give instructions and so you can actually if you've got kids or if you've got uh, family members who are kids try this try to give them a series of instructions when you give instructions cognitive load comes into play in a major way so if you're a um, someone who can give instructions in a work capacity this is something to actually measure at how many instructions deep do people start making mistakes? So if you give people a single instruction, a secondary instruction, a third instruction, at what point do they start making mistakes? You know, because very simply put, if you give instructions to a child, let's say, stand on one leg, um, say your name three times, turn around and then clap your hands. That's four different instructions in sequence. And you ask them to wait. 20 seconds before they have to do it so you put a little bit of a time gap in there as well and you'll start to see some interesting results where you'll see how much of their cognitive load your instructions are actually taking up and so it's a really good idea to teach people how to link instructions but it's a good idea for you to be able as the instruction giver to be able to put it together in a way that it doesn't challenge cognitive load. So we get to this point where we're like, oh, you're just stupid. No, it's it's a muscle that needs exercising, number one. And number two, there's a couple of like cheat techniques. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but like if I ask you to pick up a weight and you've never had instruction on it before, that could be quite tough. But if I tell you, okay, I want you to dig your heels into the ground. I want you to imagine that you're lifting the top of your head and you're going to hit the roof and then I want you to squeeze this and tense this up and push this out and pull this in and you give all these cues that person with better technique is going to get a better result even with the same musculature so all of this comes out of this this very simple concept um, of cognitive load theory and we can double click on each of the parts of cognitive load which I explained in the last one but I'm not going to I really want to demonstrate this idea of there is a limit to which your brain, which is the working memory part, says enough and throws all the toys out the cot. And it's very simple. And knowing where you are at that point is very important. This can be influenced by a whole host of things. So I'm going to contextualize this and tell you when you should notice cognitive load issues. And I'm going to give you some advice as well on things that you can do to kind of 
um, deal with this as well. Deal with it once you're triggered or the preemptive measures of it. Okay. So very simply put, you should be noticing cognitive load. Like I said before, when someone's giving you a series of instructions, that's when cognitive load ten, uh, tends to be very high. Okay. When you've got a lot of information coming in that you don't know what is the most important part, what should I be doing? What is uh, more valuable to do than something else? Okay. So assigning value is one of the bigger things in cognitive load. Cognitive load is also something that I'm sure you've heard of when we talk about decision-making fatigue. That's cognitive load as well. And the very simple point is that if you constantly are um, filling up your working memory with random decisions that you need to think about all the time, using your working memory is going to get fatigued. And at the end of the day, you're less likely to make good choices because your brain's muscles aren't capable anymore. So a lot of people try and lower decision making throughout the day. You know, I'm sure you've heard of Steve Jobs wearing the same clothes, Mark Zuckerberg wearing the same clothes again and again and again. And using that reason of saying, oh, well, I, you know, like I don't want to waste any brain power making decisions. Like, in my opinion, that's kind of dumb. <laughs> that's kind of dumb. Do it if you want to do it. Absolutely. If you're, if you're so limited in your cognitive load, and you don't want to train your cognitive load muscle, you know, your, your cognition muscles to be stronger, then do it. But definitely one of the, the best ways around this is by creating groups that naturally go together. Constellations of information, okay? So that, that gets a bit much, but we'll come back to it. But I want you to think about the wardrobe, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg for now we generally will automate our choice of clothing. And that doesn't mean that our wardrobe has to be limited to like one item of everything. But it could be that we've got like seven different shirts, but we know which shirt we, we want to wear with which pair of pants, trousers, whatever you want to say. Um, we know which jacket we want to wear with which shoes because we enjoy wearing them. We get compliments when we wear them. And so we have like clusters of like this shirt goes together well, with these three outfits okay well today i have these things available to me and you know like these outfits do well in these situations so let me then do this okay so we can reduce our cognitive load when we're making decisions by having practiced these things before and patterning these things together so that's the long-term solution but the short-term solution is very simple if you are in a place where you are triggered, your cognitive load is throwing all the, all the pieces of information out, you need to take a break. And for five minutes, you need to reset your cognitive load. The way that you do that is with the breath, stillness. So number one, go and sit somewhere um, that you can not be interrupted or not be hassled. And what you need to do is you need to get your, you need to get your brain back to a place where it is settled because what has happened when all of this happens and your brain shuts off literally the reptilian brain and the you know the brainstem the limbic system the emotional brain it's giving the cognitive side the cortex a wedgie and it's stopping the cortex from thinking and you pretty much flip into the stressed state fight or flight response and we want to get out of that state 
and we want to get back into the parasympathetic nervous system uh, states, which is the uh, pause and plan or rest and reflect and digest. I, I, there's a hundred different ways to talk about them as well. The easiest way to do this is by doing um, slow controlled breathing. Okay, so let's just do step one, slow controlled breathing. If you want to double click on the breathing and go a little bit more in depth because you're like, well, which one do I do? Okay, well, let's double click on that. Um, box breathing compared to what? Deep breaths in. Okay, no. When people say like, take a deep breath, you're actually pulling too much oxygen into your blood. And long story short, carbon dioxide is actually something that you need a lot more than oxygen in these points. But it's more about breathing softer than it is about taking deep breaths anyway. So in this case, rhythmic breathing is better than just one or two deep breaths. So try and slow your rhythm of breathing and make it as soft as possible. Okay, great. It might take you some time to do it. Like I said, five minutes. If you want to double click again on the rhythm of breathing, people always hear about box breathing, which is like four seconds in, four second hold, four seconds out, four seconds hold. Okay, that's called box breathing. Now, what the research data actually says is better than this. Please remember, box breathing, still good. Better than box breathing is a longer exhale than inhale. So let's say inhale for three, exhale for five. Now, the more we go into the research, the more we see that if we're going for about six breaths a minute, which is ultimately it's something like four seconds in, six seconds out. You know, five seconds in, seven seconds out. It's called a skewed resonance, resonance breathing technique. This is also very good. Now, if you want to go a little step further as well, the Free Diving Society actually shows that they prefer a ratio of one inhale to two exhales. For example, breathe in for four seconds and then double it for the exhale. Breathe out for eight seconds. So you can do three seconds in, six seconds out. Four seconds in, eight seconds out. Five seconds in, ten seconds out. And it totally depends on you, your preference, how calm you are. And you can stage it where minute number one, you do three seconds in, six, six, six seconds out. Minute number two, you graduate up to uh, three seconds in, four, five, uh, sorry, uh, seven seconds out. And then you go up to four seconds in, eight seconds out. And then you go four seconds in to nine seconds out. And then you graduate on each minute, you can graduate up. Because the more calm you are, the better. But just make sure that your breathing is soft as possible. Okay. And this will basically reset your body, your blood pressure, respiratory system, your, you know, your cardiology. It's all connected with um, your breathing rates to tell your body that you are not in a fight or flight situation, that you don't have a tiger in front of you. And so what we come back to is this idea of regulating cognitive load. So once you're reset, then it's time to go back at it and be like, how can I group the information together? Or before I try and take it all in, can I see it first? Can I write down all the instructions and then start noticing what all the patterns are? That is probably the biggest thing. If you can actually see the layout of instructions before you, and this is called reducing extrinsic cognitive load, how information is presented to you. And this is one of the biggest dangers like I said, if information is just in a continuous stream and you don't know what's equal, it starts to become a problem. But if you can lay out information 
in a nice clean way and then double click on each piece of information, great. Much reduced cognitive load, much better results that you can achieve. So this was a double click on cognitive load. And of course, we talked about cognitive load in the previous one. But the very simple point is that I listened to that and I realized that it could have been confusing. And so rather than deleting that one and putting a new one up, it's actually a demonstration of like, number one, my ability to adapt and change. But number two, the whole point of it is to demonstrate to you, okay, cool. If at the first time it doesn't work or it's too confusing, just come back to it again. Give it a little bit of time, re allow your body to reset, allow things to reset and put it out there again. And there's nothing wrong with that. And people who take, take issue with that, well, you know, like that's their problem. So I'm not afraid of number one, making mistakes. And I'm not afraid of number two, sharing my mistakes. And number three, having another go, having another go. So if you preferred this version of cognitive load, all we talked about today was cognitive load. What is it? Talking about an explanation, a metaphor, examples, and a little bit of personal experience as well. And, and then a few solutions on like, well, what do you do if you're in it? And how do you prepare for it? So that today's was just a double click on cognitive load. If you enjoyed this, this type of like retake, great. Let's do some more. Last week's episode, every episode before this actually, has had three main points. And some of the feedback that I've received from people is that maybe three is too many per episode. Um, because really going deep on one is, is valuable in and of itself. So let's simplify for now. Cool. Let me know what you think. And um, once again, don't leave me a five-star rating on iTunes. I, I don't ask you to do that. But rather, what I do ask you to do is if you find this interesting, engaging in any way, share it and start a conversation with a friend, family member, colleague, whoever. Okay. Um, if you found this unhelpful in any way, send me a message and give me feedback. Why? You know, it's not going to be detrimental to any relationship that we have. And if anything, I'd, I'd appreciate it. So uh, that's it for me today. This is Thought Architecture. I'm Justin, your host through this amazing journey into how to build, design your brain. And um, yeah, I hope you have a great week. Toodaloo. Ta-ta for now.